Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Matthew 7, be in verses 24 to 27 today in our conversion series. I want to speak to you today about life foundation, obedience to God's word. Let me read, first of all, verses 24 to 27 of chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. May God bless the reading the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. This summer, as many of you did, likely, my wife and family and I uh, attended a July 4th fireworks display. And friends, I can say unequivocally, without argumentation, an absolute reality of the popularity of fireworks proves the universality of the redneck gene that craves awe and wonder at things exploding. This is so affirming to me. It's impressive, is it not? And, and, and it always in the point, you know, you, you begin and, and you go, whoa, boom, yo, wow. You know, it lights up the sky and then it goes back dark. And then you have one that goes, yep. And you go, oh, that was a dud, somebody says, you know. The duds are important, friends. Because if it weren't for the duds, the big bangs wouldn't look as great, right? But I mean, one after the other after the other. But there's always the moment right at the end for the grand finale. And here's usually how you know that it's coming. We expect it because all fireworks displays end with just a constant barrage of boom, bang, light, 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 color, 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 right? And someone usually says, hey, it's the grand finale. And everybody's like, yeah, it's the grand finale. You've been there, you know that, because the grand finale is the big ending that wants to leave you with a lasting impression, When we come to these verses today, Matthew gives us a grand finale. He's going to leave an impression upon us with all that he's put together of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he does it by addressing every hearer with this big ending. And he uses the teaching of Jesus that is very simple. Jesus contrasts two kinds of hearers by comparing two kinds of builders. The first builder builds on the rock, it tells us. The rains fell, the floods rose, and the winds beat against the house. But the house did not fall because it was built on the rock. The foundation held the house in the storm. And he tells us this, that Jesus says the builder who built on the rock was the wise builder. 
and then immediately goes right into the second builder. This builder built on the sand. The rain fell, the flood rose, and the winds beat against the house, but it fell, and greatly it tells us, because it was not built on the rock, but rather on sand. The foundation did not hold, and Jesus says of this builder that this builder was foolish. You see, friends, in this very brief, very simple story, everything is presented as equal. Both of the builders from every uh, imaginable presentation uh, are, are presented as capable and competent craftsmen in their own right, and they complete the house. The house was complete in every way. We see this, that the same kind of storms blow against each house. That the rains fell, the floods rose, and the winds beat against the house. So it's not a different kind of storm for one house versus the other. But we see two very different outcomes. The first house stands because of its foundation being rock. The second house falls, and greatly, it says, because its foundation was sand. And because of each's house, each, excuse me, not each's, because of each house's foundation, Jesus makes the declaration that the builder was either wise or foolish. You see, what seemed equal at first, even to completion and for a time prior to the storm, was not equal at all. And though at first it was not obvious or visible, the two houses were not the same at all because of the foundation upon which they were built. And very simply, but for a big impact, Matthew records Jesus' teaching of this simple truth. The foundation you build your house on reveals whether you've been wise or foolish and determines whether you will stand or whether you will fall greatly when the storms blow. Seems simple, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you one more thing that you're not going to be surprised by. Houses are a metaphor for life. This is not about constructing homes. This is about building lives. Jesus is talking to us about how you build your life. And that's what he wants to leave us with in this teaching. There are two ways to live. One is wise one is foolish. One withstands the storms. One falls to complete destruction by the storms. So the question that you must ask yourself today is, do I want my life to stand or to fall when the storms of life strike? Jesus says, the one who builds on the rock is wise. The one who builds on the sand is foolish. There's only one foundation that holds when life's storms blow. Jesus is the life foundation of God's wisdom who will never fail, who will never allow us to fall. I want to place one question upon your heart and mind to ruminate upon for your own life as I walk through two applications this morning. And it is simply this. Will you live wise or will you live foolish? Are you building your life on the rock of Jesus Christ? Or are you building your life on the sand of anything other than him? Simple? Absolutely. Easy? No.
But I want to encourage you today with two applications because I want you to walk away with this. Jesus is the rock that holds life to stand when we walk by the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. Jesus is the rock that causes and holds life to stand when we walk by the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. Two applications to help you make sure you are building your life on Jesus. The first application is just a simple recognition of what he is saying. Every person is building a life. Each and every one of us. Be wise and build your life on Jesus, the rock. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what Matthew is trying to impact us with. Through all of the teachings, through the conversion series of what it means to be converted and to live a life distinctly to Jesus Christ, he brings us to the end, and it may be simple in its presentation, but it is life-altering in its impact. Every person is building a life. You see, we've managed in this life to somehow remove the expectation to grow up. We live in a day and time while we have removed the expectation to grow up, we have simultaneously dumped the demand to accomplish the greatest feats upon our children, the youngest among us. You say, where do you get this from? Statistics. Do I really need to convince you of this statistically? Statistics bear it out over and over and over again that what was created a couple of generations ago that we recognized as adolescence now doesn't have an ending point, but sociologists are telling us that it's extending into not only the 20s, but even into the early and mid-30s. The traits that define that period of life. Not only that, but from the earliest of days, our children are being subjected to the demand to accomplish, to strive, to succeed from the earliest of days. And it has a toll upon it, friends. We are propagating a life that assumes at the very least that the world is for them instead of their life being purposed to serve God and make the world a better place as he has commanded us to. With constant access to the world, we have to create an image that the world loves and celebrates or at the very least will click, like, view, and follow. Instead of living a life that reflects the image of the glory of the one who has created us, the creator, we've substituted him with created things that we celebrate with greater glory. And what has resulted is we've produced the most anxious, the most stressed out, the most self-proclaimed offended and victimed generation who have become incompetent to make their own PB and J. I can remember a time when living in a van down by the river was a joke, considered a waste of life. Now, it's a life goal. Why? We want to check out. There's got to be a better way. We know this. Adolescence once referred to a period of life that had both a beginning 
and an end. And between those two points, it was accompanied with the expectation to not only grow, but to grow through to maturity at the end point. We've removed the expectation of growth and we've made adolescence a point of arrival. And because of that, we live in a generation today ruled by anxiety, ruled by fear, emotional turmoil, and mental health continues to be the rising crisis that we have yet to embrace and recognize. And listen, unless you believe, oh, he's about to let the youngins have it, mm -mm. I'm here for all uns today. This is not a millennial issue. It's not a Gen Yer issue or the one coming after them. This is a generational issue. It is an issue in the day in which we live. I tell you, middle-aged, old age, whatever that is, like 140 and up, age is not an issue. This is the defining reality for the generation in which we live, ruled by anxiety. Satan rules the world by the uncertainty and the anxiety. But listen to me, friends, I, I want you to walk away today with this confidence that, that though he rules by the uncertainty that is created through what he propagates, he has zero power to thwart God's will for your life. Zero. Each person is responsible to build their life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, no matter what our age, no matter what our stage of life. And parents, we have that distinct responsibility to lead our children to grow, and listen to me, to grow up in the Lord as an expectation placed upon their life and a help that comes to their life. Yes, like the birds fully anticipate, our kids should understand that there will come a day when this nest is not their home. And if they need help, there will be a foot in the posterior to make that first step so you can fly. Because a lot of times kids don't know they can fly till they have to, right? You won't be in my basement playing your video games when you're that age. I will be in my basement playing your video games because you'll be moving out. You can build a life by worldly driven self-glory, but it will end in utter destruction. Or you can build a life on Jesus and there is absolutely nothing the world throws at you that will ultimately conquer you. What are you building your life on? Are you living wise or are you living foolish? The difference between the two is an everyday intentional decision to choose Jesus. To choose Jesus. 
But I'm afraid, we say today. Fear is ruling us and creating all these other things. Let me tell you something about fear. We're all afraid. We've always been afraid. From Genesis chapter 3, where we see fear beginning to rule the mindset of Adam and Eve, they heard the voice of God calling for them in the cool of the evening, and they went and hid from him because they were afraid because of what they knew. Fear is not new to this generation, friends. And the more we say to ourselves, but it's never been the way it is today, the more we make this something God can't deal with. I'm telling you, God's been dealing with your fear long before you were. The old hymn reminds us of this, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting and fears within Without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. There was once a young man riddled with fear and anxiety. He was overwhelmed by life's demand. He was barely hanging on to his faith. He was a leader in the church, but he was probably tempted by thoughts of walking away. This is what scholars and theologians have said of this young man in their comments upon him. But it is to this young man that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, chapter 6 and 7. For he says, for this reason. What reason? The reason of life. Being real, being anxious, being fearful, being overwhelmed by, being riddled and ruled by these things on a daily basis. For this reason, because God has placed the gospel into you, he has poured it into your life by your grandmother, by your mother, by your church family, by the teaching and the training that you have learned. I call upon you to fan into flame this gift of God that he has given to you by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of self-discipline. Satan only wins when we forget what God has done. Fear and anxiety and insecurity are manifestations of sin's curse and Satan's work in the world, friends. Listen to me, I'm not making light of the mental health issues that are present and increasing in our world today not making light of them at all but I do want to make a statement I want to tell you that because these are not the final word they don't have to rule you in your life the one who fuels fear and anxiety in this world does not get the last word that means he doesn't have the ultimate word for us It may be a battle you fight every day, but it is a battle that you will find victory in as you walk with Christ because he is with you in the midst of it. You have a better word who is life. His name is Jesus. God gave you life to glorify him. This does not mean you will not have fears and anxieties that threaten and that beat against your house. It does mean you don't have to be ruled by them. Jesus brings peace when your life is built on him. And wisdom, friends, is that intentional act to choose to build your life on Jesus, the rock, so that you can stand in the midst of life's storms. Every person is building their life Jesus is inviting you to be wise and to build your life 
on him. The second application I want us to see in this passage today is this, that what you do in response to God's word determines what you build your life on. Obedience to God's word builds your life on Jesus. Listen to me. Word service doesn't build your life on Jesus. Familiarity with, being comfortable or convenienced by doesn't build your life on Jesus. Obedience to God's word builds your life on Jesus. Jesus' contrast highlights one issue that determines the foundation of our life, and that is what we do with what we hear. That's called obedience, friends. It's obedience to God's word. You see, the issue is not how you feel or think about God's word. As a matter of fact, so often that's used as our justification and rationale to disregard or disobey God's word. But the point is this. It doesn't matter why or how you disobey, but whether or not you do God's word when you hear it. Only obedience to God's word builds your life on God's wisdom. Disobedience to God's word is always unwise and puts your life on a foundation that cannot withstand the storms of life so that you will be destroyed when they blow. You see, friends, two houses can look identical, yet be completely different because of their foundations, right? Many houses look fine today. Is this not true of people's lives? They, they look totally fine today. People doing great, man. They got perched lips and peace signs. Like they're throwing it around and like gangs all over the world are like, no, that's our thing. You can't have our thing. Every junior high and high school and young, I mean, I just go through the generations. And maybe worst of all, this is, I, I confess to you, this has bothered me from the beginning. It's not just posed against the beautiful backdrop of incomprehensible beauty in, in the scenery, right? You're like, wow, where'd that picture come from? I stole it off the internet, but I'll make you think I went there. Worse than that, I, I hope you agree with me on this because I don't want you to be wrong. When did we start taking cameras into bathrooms? This is wrong. Stop that. We see things in your bathroom because of the mirror that you don't pay attention to because all you see is you. We don't need to come into your bathroom with you. Get the cameras out of the bathroom. That's our next campaign. We're living life. We're putting the pieces in place. We're building followers. We're showing the world how it's done. Many look put together. And friends, that is exactly what they are. They are put together by every Photoshop and photo app they can find to make it look a little bit better and to make it look a little bit improved from the last time because God help us if everybody knew about me what I know about me. It's fueling it. All the while, anxiety is dominating and with every picture put out there, that anxiety builds and grows because we wonder if it will get all the likes and the views that we want it to. Will I be validated yet once again for what I've offered to the world or will they crush me today? Will they like somebody more than they like me? That is a foundation that shifts. Pause and let this settle in. The life you build is not determined by what you do with what the world says to you 
or says of you, what the world does to you, what the world throws at you or against you. Life is not defined by failures. And listen to me, if it is defined by successes, that will destroy you too. That will destroy you too. As a matter of fact, I believe that it is more difficult to walk in success faithfully than it is failures. Because when you hit rock bottom and everybody knows it, you can't deny it. That's where you are. When you have some measure of success, everybody thinks you're actually greater than you know yourself to be. And now you've got to maintain that. That'll destroy you, friends. That'll destroy you. Nothing moves Jesus. And nothing moves the life of the one who is built on him. If you build on anything other than him as your foundation, you're waiting for a storm to destroy you. The life you are building is determined by the one you are obeying. What you are doing when you hear God's word. And the only life that withstands any storm is the one that is built by obedience to Jesus, the rock of God. Now listen, I want to talk about obedience for a moment and what it is. You see, obedience to God's word is not to hear and agree. It's to hear and to do. Oh, amen, preacher. You go right on. You talk about it now. Tell us about it. And walk out of here like you never heard any of it. No, Romans 10 clearly reminds us that the faith to trust in God comes from the word of God. And the word of God comes from the hearing that word. You see, friends, obedience isn't as some have made it adherence only. This is what we would call the legalistic fundamentalism, where obedience is just gritted out and get it done. That's not obedience to God. And when you default to that in your Christian walk, you're actually doing an end run around God's will for you. And you're hurting your relationship with God. Obedience is a faith-fueled following that places the whole of our life into God's hand. Obedience, on the other end, is not a calculated consideration where God becomes one voice among many. You let me know what you want me to do, God, and I'll let you know if I'm going to do that. That's not obedience, friends, where we weigh the options and we decide if God's way is the best way, where we think about it until we can figure out how to do what God has said to do. Listen, friends, when God tells you something to do, he's already told you what he plans to do in you. And when you say, but I don't think I can do that, that's the point. Because God's will is to do something in you that is beyond you. Obedience is a surrendered heart to trust in God by obeying his word in his way and in his timing. What God says to obey is always accompanied, listen, this is important, it is always accompanied by when God says do it. Truth always operates in God's perfect timing. You know, there are times when things, when God tells you to do things, but, but you know the timing's not right. You know, I know what God wants me to do, but right now is not the time. Maybe you're in a, a specific season or you're in a, a stage where that's not what you uh, know you can do and, and God's given you that release but but you know what God is leading you to do 
So often at these moments when you know what it is, but the win is not made clear yet, every opportunity to go ahead and do that seems to present itself. I mean, opportunity after opportunity just to get it over with if you don't want to do it or to get on with the doing of it. It seems the barriers to doing what God has told you to do become lesser and fewer, but you know God has said not yet. And so your faith is to trust as you wait. And then on the other side, you seek God and you consider the options, but you're unsure what to do. There seems to be no way. I mean, there seems to be no answer to this question that's hounding me. There seems to be no solution to this problem that I'm being faced with. There seems to be no way forward, no way in which this could actually work out. You can't foreseeably see any option that you can take a step towards doing something and it in any way be for your good or for God's glory. And then God makes it clear what he wants you to do and you say to him, but God, how have you considered this and and why would you want me to do it if that took place and I don't want to do it that way or with that person or that's not the way I need to respond in this situation because of this reason or that reason or this one you see the way of God's command is not the way you've considered or it becomes the way you've already considered and dismissed in these moments But listen to me, friends, the what and the when of God's command is the moment of obedience. Obedience encompasses the fullness of God's will for the Christ follower. God is working in the heart to give faith that motivates the life to produce that obedience. And then he is working for those actions to come out of that faith, that relationship of trust where we've submitted our life to him. And that action leads to a fulfillment of obedience by the doing. So he's, he's growing our, our hands, if you will, or our lives in serving him. But he's also growing us in his timing. And so God's timing grows my life through my feet and that aspect of the rhythm and the patterns of how I live my life and when the timing is to come around not just for me but for his glory to be fulfilled in me and then usually after is what I would argue here an understanding that explains God's will so he brings our mind into the fullness of the glory of God through the gospel and our obedience you go why would he give understanding after because so often the understanding he tries to give before is the very justification you use against that understanding to disobey. Time and time again, I go, Lord, I don't know why you're wanting me to do this, what I believe you want to do, though, so I'm going to do it. And then later that understanding comes about. But I'll be honest with you, there are times that I know what God wants me to do and I know when he wants me to do it and I obey that. And after it's all said and done, I see good that comes out of it, but I still don't fully understand what he did. Still don't fully understand. There's just some things, friends, that are not ours to know. And if you don't trust God enough to let the mysteries of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ remain in his hands and your life still be fully subject to it, you're not trusting God, you're managing him. Obedience is the posture of faith in Jesus that demonstrates a surrender of life to him. You don't have to agree or understand with the why, the what, or the when that God commands, but you are called to trust for obedience. 
Any demand that you make before you obey is not living by faith, but by self-wisdom. We are called to trust and to rest our life in him. That is the place where our life is tethered to the rock that is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.25 reminds us the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, friends, obedience to Jesus' commands anchors our life to him. When we walk by faith in obedience, we are living by God's wisdom, by God's power, who is Jesus Christ in us. And when we build our life on Jesus, we will overcome because he conquered. We will prevail because he rose. We will stand because he lives. Obedience to God's word places the full dependence of your life on Jesus It prepares you for what you know will happen even though you don't know when it will happen. Obedience to God's word places the full dependency of our life upon Jesus because it prepares you for anything that comes no matter when it arrives. And in a day when it would almost seem it's becoming trendy cool to walk away from the faith, The fact of the matter is, when the storm blows, it only reveals the foundation of what has been built there. If you want the life Jesus Jesus has promised, you must live in obedience by faith to his word. In Jesus' analogy, the same storms beat against every life. One stands the other falls to complete destruction. Storms are inevitable. How they affect your life, that is optional. Storms are never the issue. The foundation of your life determines whether you will stand or whether you will fall to complete destruction. Obedience to God's word builds your life on his wisdom and power upon the rock who is Jesus. Are you living wise? Are you living foolishly? Are you building your life on Jesus? Are you building your life on anything else? Let's pray.